looking at a Bible that's in the chair rack that should be on page 877. I will read Luke 18, starting at verse 18 through 30. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Thank you, Andrew. I want to invite you now to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses, 9, verses 17 through 19, our sermon text for today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Uh, before I read that, I want to just remind you of the context of these three verses, the immediate context. Peter, excuse me, Paul said in chapter 6, verse 10, that a love of money was a root of all evil, all kinds of evil. And because of that, Paul urged Timothy and the church to flee from a love of money and to pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So we know that money is not the problem. A love of money is. When you love money more than you love God, then you have a problem. But money in and of itself is not the problem. In fact, Paul has a good word for those who have a lot of money, and it's found here in verses 17, 18, and 19. So listen as I read 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. As for the rich of this present age... Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." So I guess the the first question we need to ask is this, who who are the rich? Um, Should you consider yourself rich? 
Are, are you one of the rich? Is this word of exhortation for you? And we can answer this in a couple of different ways. First, the Greek word for rich here means having an abundance of earthly possessions that exceeds normal experience. Now, I think that's helpful, but it probably doesn't give us a clear answer to the question. Our our difficulty uh, is that the idea of being rich seems to be so relative. Um, what, What exactly is an abundance of earthly possessions? And what is it that exceeds normal experience? Who, who, defines, who defines abundance? Who defines a normal experience? I think it's often, it's often hard to recognize a normal experience and an abundance uh, because it's very easy for us to be materialistic and to get sucked into thinking that we really need more. I need more. We... We live in such a consumer age that it's very easy to be inundated with the need for newer and better things. When in reality, what we really need is the reminder of verse 6 of chapter 6 that says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. So the more content we are with godliness, I think the more ready we are to receive Today's exhortation is found in verses 17 through 19. So if, if we are honest by definition, most of us could probably say that we have more than we need. Maybe we want more, but many, if not most of us, have more than we need, and that makes us rich. But I I think there's another perspective that can help us to answer this question, who are the rich? Um, In an article entitled, and I quote, how rich are the Americans on a global scale? And in that title it says, very rich. The author makes several observations. Um, He says this, there are 2,668 billionaires in the world and 735 of those are American. That means that 27, just over 27% of the world's billionaires are American. Uh, Eight out of the top 10 billionaires are American. Um, we, We have the most millionaires and billionaires in the world. Uh, The author says 39% of the world's millionaires are Americans, according to the 2022 Global Wealth Report. Now, the author also goes on and says that the median U.S. household income, not not individual, but a household income in 2021 is $70,784. That means that Half of American households make more than $70,784 in 2021, and half of the American households made less than that. But regardless of what most people think about $70,000 a year, it is still a considerable sum when compared to the rest of the world. 
as an individual, not, not including the whole household, but as an individual, you are in the top 1% of worldwide earners if you make more than $60,000 a year. The, the median worldwide income is $2,800 per year according to giving what we can. That, that means half the households in America make more than 25 times the median worldwide income. Now, it is certainly true that the median income for individuals in the United States is a lot higher than the median income worldwide, but the cost of living is also higher. That, that must be factored in. But I think we can't ignore the fact that most Americans make a lot more money annually than most other individuals worldwide. And I would argue that we should consider most Americans rich. Verse 17 begins by saying, as for the rich in this present age. And then what follows is a word to the rich. But, but let me say this. Even if you don't consider yourself rich, you can still benefit from what Paul says in these next three verses. We, we long, certainly, we long for glory. We long to be in glory as believers. But here in these verses, you'll find some very helpful instruction for this age as we wait for the age to come. God teaches us through the Apostle Paul to avoid two things and then to pursue five other things. First, there are two things that we must avoid if we're going to avoid bad investments. Um, if more money makes you proud, then that is a poor use of money. The first warning that Paul gives to Timothy is this, charge them not to be haughty. This is an exhortation to the rich in the church. Do not be haughty. Do not be proud. Don't be high-minded. Don't think of yourself as better than others because of your wealth or because you have more money than others. Money doesn't make you have more value in God's eyes. Our value comes from being made in God's image, rich and poor. We are to reflect God's image. We are made to draw attention to the greatness of God. Our, certainly our sin has severely distorted that, but God in His great love redeemed us with the precious blood of Jesus. Uh, Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness and, for, and so for all believers, rich or poor, we stand before God on the same footing, the imputed righteousness of Jesus. This really ought to make us humble servants who desire to be good stewards of all that God has given to us. As 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 rightly says, and I quote, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So that, that is true for all things God has given to us, spiritual blessings in Christ, and certainly 
material blessings as well. Um, we really don't own anything. We are only stewards of what God has given to us. And we're charged to steward these things to serve God's purposes and not our own. Um, there's no room to think that having more money makes us more important than those who have less money. Um, and, and certainly we can know that intellectually, but it must also impact how we live in relationships. Listen to the warning given in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and I quote, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? End of quote. So it, it's for good reason that Paul tells us in verse 17 to not be haughty. Uh, we, we have to be told that because we are so prone to place more value on money than we do faith. Jesus made this observation in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and I quote, And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. So God really is not impressed with the amount of money you have or even how much you give, but on how you steward what God has given to you. Don't, don't be haughty. Instead, be humble stewards of all that God has given you for his glory and not for your own. And secondly, do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Um, if you set your hope on something uncertain, you will end up being disappointed. Uh, if you look to something uncertain to give you what you long for, it will always disappoint you. And so on the one hand, earthly riches are uncertain because they, they come and they go. It can take a lifetime to accumulate wealth and it can be gone in a heartbeat. I, I can remember saving what seemed like forever to get a new 10-speed bike when I was a kid. My, my precious, my precious. O only to crash it and destroy it shortly after I got it. So, so anything earthly or temporal that we could 
consider a treasure can quickly disappear. The, the stock market can crash. Banks can go belly up. The housing market can bottom out. A new car can rust or be stolen. A house can go up in flames. And in this way, in this way earthly riches are uncertain at best. But in another way, earthly riches are uncertain because they will never give lasting satisfaction. If only I had a new house in a new neighborhood, then I'd be happy. If only I had a new job with a different boss, then I'd be happy. If only I won the lottery, then I would be happy. And I mention that because we have all heard stories of people who have been big lottery winners who thought more money would make them happy, but what they discovered was that more money actually brought more problems. If we bank on earthly treasure to give lasting joy and satisfaction, we will always be disappointed. Sometimes people get married with the hope that their new spouse will satisfy their deep longing for joy and satisfaction. But quickly, they discover the presence and the ugliness of sin in the one that they love, and even in their own lives. Something greater than a spouse is ultimately needed for lasting joy and satisfaction, and we, we know that that something greater is, is Jesus. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desire of your heart. If the Lord is your greatest delight, you will never be sat or dissatisfied. Godliness with contentment really is great gain. But money and earthly riches are uncertain at best. Uh, l- listen to what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, 19-24. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if your eye or your heart is set on that which is good or desires that which has lasting value, eternal value, then your whole life will be filled with light, not, not darkness. Now, there, there is a third way that earthly riches prove to be a poor investment. Um, we, we won't live forever here in this age. So, some don't think about or plan for death. They don't think about the age to come. Um, but what happens? What happens when we die? If the meaning of your life is found in the accumulation of earthly riches, 
How well will those riches serve you when you die? Uh, Listen to a question that Jesus answered from someone in a crowd found in Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in a crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So with with that being said, let's talk now about pursuing good investments, uh, being rich towards God. So don't don't set your your hope on earthly riches. Instead, set your hope on God. And, And then, here in this text, we're told that God richly provides you with everything to enjoy. I I find that fascinating. It's clear that earthly riches won't give us lasting joy or satisfaction, but that doesn't mean that God is a killjoy here in this life either. God delights in giving us good gifts to enjoy, not, not so that we love the gift or look for the gift more, but that we love the giver more. And and we have already said money's not the problem. Instead, the problem comes when we love money more than God. It's it's that way with all of earth's earth's blessings, uh, earthly blessings that God God, uh, gives to us. My, My wife is a wonderful gift from God to me. Um, she, she's a wonderful companion. Uh, she's a source of joy and delight to me. Um, I love spending time with her. We enjoy serving Christ together. I, I love my wife. But I cannot expect Shelley to give me what only Christ can give me. Shelley did not die on the cross to atone for my sin. Shelley does not empower me with the Spirit to put to death sin in my life and to live for God's glory. Shelley won't be my source of endless joy for eternity. Marriage, as good as it can be, is only temporary. I I will know Shelley, I think, in heaven, but not like I do now. There, There is no marriage in heaven. She, she is a wonderful gift from God in this lifetime, but I, I have hope for eternity because of Jesus. It, it will be Jesus that will be the very center of my ultimate joy and delight for all eternity. And because of that, Jesus needs to have a place of preeminence in my life even today. 
Shelly is a good gift from God. And because of that, I should love God all the more. So put your hope in God, not in earthly riches. And, and remember that God knows what you need in this lifetime. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and, and following, Jesus tells us to not be anxious about the things that we need in this lifetime. He, he tells us, your Father, your Heavenly Father knows what you need and He delights in meeting your needs. He's not a killjoy. He loves to meet your needs. He simply calls you in Matthew 6.33 to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things, all of these things that you need will be added to you as well. So don't let money um, be first and foremost in your life. Love God and your faithful God will meet all of your needs. I can tell you that over the years I have, I have always been amazed at how God meets our needs. Um, whether a salary is great or small, our Father in Heaven knows what we need and He always provides for His children. Um, so often, without saying a word to anyone, God stirred someone's heart to give exactly what we needed at exactly the right time. Again and again, God proves that we can trust Him completely and He won't disappoint. God's commitment to care for His children and to meet their needs is really what is absolutely certain. Absolutely certain. When, when you put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, we are able to be generous, generous with others who have needs. And there are three things that verse 18 commands us to do. One is to do good. Number two is to be rich in good deeds. And number three is to be generous and ready to share. So if you do good, you see the needs of others, and you do something to help meet their needs. You, you will be sensitive to the needs of others. You will be sensitive to the desires God puts in your heart to give, and you will give to help others. Uh, James, in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, says that if you see other people's needs and have the means to help and choose not to help, your, your faith is worthless. James says our faith is dead without works or without doing good to help others in their needs. And what's amazing about this is this, that Paul puts a spotlight on the churches in Macedonia, saying this about them in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-4. through 4. Here, here is someone that not only did good, but were rich in good works. And I quote, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Notice that Paul commends them for giving sacrificially. They, They did without in order to supply the needs of others. It was a joy and a delight for them to give to help those in need. They were cheerful givers. Uh, cheerful, Cheerful givers give not because they're compelled to give against their will, but because they respond to the desire that God has put in their heart to give. And so this is something that we we must prepare for. Uh, Ephesians 4.28 says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So work, not just to accumulate earthly riches or not just to build a nest egg for retirement, but work diligently so that you will have something to share with anyone in need. So we have to be ready for this. Prepare yourself for this. And as you work and as you give to meet the needs of others in this way, you will, in fact, be preparing for the future. Verse 19 says that those who are rich in good works are, and I quote, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The the Bible clearly teaches that we're not saved by doing good works. So this phrase, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, cannot mean that giving generously to meet the needs of others will earn our way into heaven. Instead, when you give to meet the needs of others for their good and for God's glory, and you do this as an exercise of faith in Jesus Christ, and you do this as an expression of love for God and for others, you are demonstrating to be a child of God. Giving generously to meet the needs of others is a fruit that is produced when you live by faith in Jesus. And, And when you live by faith in Jesus, you are clinging to the promise that one day you will live in the glorious presence of God forever. The the ultimate reward for living by faith in this lifetime will be dwelling with God forever. Nothing could be possibly better than that. That really is the good life. There's nothing better. So here is a word to the rich. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of earthly riches. You you will be disappointed if you do. Don't, Don't tire yourself out with work just to accumulate wealth. Instead, because you know that wealth, um, you you can't take wealth with you when you die. Instead, set your hope 
on God. Set your heart on God. Work, work diligently so that you can give to meet the needs of others for their good and for God's glory. De- delight, delight in reflecting the character of our redeeming God who loves to give us everything for our enjoyment. Given this way, as an exercise of faith in Jesus Christ, and, and, great will, and great will be your reward in heaven. Great will be your reward in heaven. What is that reward? That reward is dwelling in the presence of God for all eternity. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what an amazing thing it is to think about how you have given to us sacrificially by sending your son to the cross, how you give to us again and again the many blessings that are found in Christ by your spirit. You are the greatest giver of all, and our lives have been greatly impacted by that. We, in fact, have life. We have hope because you have given, and you have given... Um, generously uh, you your gifts have been grace unmerited favor to us your gifts have been uh, flowing out of your mercy for us not giving us what we deserve but instead just blessing us with so much so many rich blessings in in Jesus by your spirit and we we just say thank you for that and I also say father please Forgive us for those times where it's so easy to get wrapped up in the here and now and to accumulate things and to get newer and better things. Father, forgive us for those times where we just get sucked into such a a consumer age. And Lord, I pray that you by your spirit would help all of us to delight in giving. Um, to, to reflect you in that giving and to, to do it in ways that would be for the good of others and for the glory of your name. Help us, Father, to have faith that produces good works, that cares for those that are around us, that sees needs and, and meets needs. So, Lord, help us to do that. And, Father, I, I also want to say thank you for the way that you have produced that here in this church. It has been a joy to watch this body give in sacrificial, generous ways again and again when needs have been presented. And so, Father, would you be glorified even as you teach us in your word that that sacrificial gifts really result in bringing praise to your name. And that's really the desire of our heart. We, we want to bless others and we want to do that in a way that, that brings praise and honor and glory to your name. And so, Lord, I, I'm thankful for the work that you have done and are doing in us, but we pray that it would continue so that the testimony of our lives would be that we are rich towards you, not towards earthly things, that what we long to do, what we long to give is, is, 
is a, a sacrificial gift for the good of others and for the glory of, of your great name. So thank you, Lord, for speaking to us through your word. Thank you for helping us to see what we need to see to live faithfully in this lifetime and to prepare for the life to come as we look to Jesus and trust in him and, and look forward to that day when we will be in your presence forever. So Lord, thank you for the hope that is ours. Um, help us now, work in us and through us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.